In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. So thanks to the Sopers for having us over and for the, for the beautiful garden and the, this is, it's a great place and it's a great opportunity for children of Our Lady, as we are, to come together and to, uh, to talk about the church, to talk about the times that we're in, and specifically to talk about the, um, the era of peace that is coming, that we're in the birth pains for right now. There is a, um, in the grand sweep of church history, um, like the, the early church fathers in particular talked a lot about this, but that there are, um, there are certain, there's a, there are eras of the church, meaning the, the people of God and our relationship with God. And um, they the church fathers roughly equate it to uh, creation week. So the seven days of creation kind of map to um, the eras of the church. And um, and so I don't remember all the boundaries. And there, you know, some of the church fathers will give slightly different boundaries between the two. But you think of six days of work that God did in creation and then a day of rest. And so the long and the short of it is, is that we're at the close of day six right now. And we've gone through the, the first couple days roughly um, correlate to the time of God the Father with the, uh, with the Jews in the Old Testament. Then you have the, the time of uh, God the Son, which is the redemption the period of redemption of the church is the Church of Grace, the New Testament, the Catholic Church, and then uh, the time of the Holy Spirit, which is what we're uh, kind of on the doorstep to. And I'm sure you all have heard the terms before because Pope John Paul the Great was really good about um, pointing us that way, and he talked about the springtime of the new evangelization. He talked um, specifically at the canonization of uh, probably never heard of him, but he's a big uh, saint in our house, uh, Saint Hannibal de Francia, who was the founder, founder of the Rogationists, and we'll get to him a little bit more later, but um, at his canonization mass, uh, which was, this was Pope John Paul, so not that long ago, um, he talked about the coming new and divine holiness that the church would have in the third Christian millennium. So... If you think back towards a lot of what we heard around the, you know, like the Jubilee year of 2000, and then we had like the year of mercy, and there's there these sound bites that would come up, and they could just kind of pop up on your feed and go away, which is another mark of the devil right now because the, the attention span and the churn and the noise, there's so much noise that the truth, he's trying to obfuscate or hide the truth in all the noise. But these things keep on popping up, and it's our Lord saying, you know, hello, McFly, you know, <laughs> we're coming. We just watched that last week. <laughs> oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs> <That's great>. <laughs> <laughs> hello, McFly, I'm coming. 
And um, and so there are there are there's a, a very clear breadcrumb trail that uh, our Lord and in particular our Lady have been trying to point us towards this day seven. So the day seven has a lot of different names, and it's um, the the era of peace at Fatima. Our Lady called it the triumph of her immaculate heart. It's um, Saint Louis de Montfort was really big talking about like the the triumph of Mary or the reign of Mary, um, and um, Saint John Bosco uh, talked about the like the in his you know you've probably seen the picture a thousand times but like the the twin pillars of like Our Lady and the Holy Eucharist with the bark of Peter chained to it and all that. Well, after the storm, then comes Our Lady and the Holy Eucharist as the the, the pillars of this era of peace. Um, so he talked about it. Lots and lots of saints and mystics of the church have talked about this day seven. And um, the heart of it is the, uh, the fulfillment of the Our Father, which we have prayed and Christians have prayed for 2,000 years. But Christ himself, through a very special mystic, has said um, that he prevented the church from fully understanding um, what thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven means. That in a general sense, you're, you're able to like look at the words and kind of understand it and, and think, well, maybe we're praying for... Um, that whatever God wants in heaven will be done on earth in human events, or like there's a lot of different ways to look at it. You know, you read commentaries on the Our Father, then there's several different potential interpretations. Well, the uh, the deepest and the realest and the most profound one from heaven itself, like Jesus telling us, is the era of peace. It is the when the will of the Father is done on earth in the same manner as it's done in heaven, then the kingdom will come. Which is yet another name for day seven. The coming of the kingdom. And uh, and there are a number of religious orders and whatnot that have TKC, uh, uh, thy kingdom come, as a, uh, as a moniker that they throw around it, that they pray about. So all of these things point towards this general restoration. I think it's, um, it's in Revelation someplace where it says, you know, behold, I make all things new, or the new heavens and the new earth. Well, before day one really started, like right at the beginning, before the fall, let's say, um, when Adam and Eve had just been created, and they were in the, what's called the state of original innocence, then, um, they had uh, the great gift of the unison of their will, like their whatever they were choosing humanly, was exactly the same as what God the Father wanted. So there was a uniformity, a union, uh, and no separation of their wills, because separation of your will from God's will is sin. Like, in the further you go away and choose different things, the more sin it is. But Adam and Eve didn't do that. It was perfect up until... They sinned and they got kicked out of the garden because it was there's no sin that could be in the Garden of Eden. So that's what is the like the state of original holiness, and um, and so but because that was the original purpose of creation, then 
God wants it, like, that was his intent, and he's God, then he's going to get it. He can't not get what he was after. It turns out that because sinful mankind, you know, through, it wasn't really throwing a monkey wrench into the system, but basically that we took ourselves out of God's original plan, that he had to come and rescue us with the redemption, and then bring us back to the point where he could finally uh, give us this gift that he had given us in the first place through Adam, but that we lost. So that was his original intent, was the Garden of Eden, was perfection in mankind, was the unison of our wills with his, so we could live the life of heaven on earth. Had Adam not sinned, then of course we would have continued in paradise, and we wouldn't have had to go all this route, and there wouldn't be souls in hell and all that. But he did. Um, so the restoration of the original holiness of mankind is actually part of our inheritance from St. Adam, whose feast day is December 24th. That's why our child number five is named Johnny Adam. Um, and so the he gave us original sin. That was the bad part of our inheritance we got from Adam. But we also got from our very first original forefather, original holiness. And we're due that as our birthright of Christians. But it's taken these six days or the six eras, let's say, of human existence to get to the point where we're ready to pass away from the work week, so to speak, and to go to the day of rest. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to I'm the craziness. So, very bad. Okay. But uh, but listen. But the time of miracles and the time of like of you know apostolic holiness and the time of like gr the greatest graces of the Holy Spirit and you know heroes of the faith. All of that's coming too. So it's like the the army of Our Lady will rise even above the craziness. We'll talk about the craziness in a minute. I need the, we need the framework first. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Um, <laughs> because this, uh, this apostolate that um, Jessica and I have felt very strongly in prayer that we're supposed to have launched, and we just did, this Eden Redux, is um, that's actually the reason for the name. That the Garden of Eden, then Redux, means restoration in Latin. And so it's the return of the original holiness of mankind to uh, during this triumph of Mary, era of peace, coming of the kingdom, um, the reign of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That's, that's you know it's got a hundred names from a, a, a hundred different uh, visionaries and mystics of the church and whatnot. But um, long and short of it is that these these six days of work, of toil of the valley of tears are coming to an end. A crazy and violent and you know, full of upheaval and and it's it's akin to childbirth actually. <laughs> that the we're in the labor pains right now of going from pre nascent or, you know, pregnant to the point where we're going to have you know this beautiful baby with us, which is the the whole church will, it, which is the the birthright, which is our inheritance from Adam that we should have gotten in the first place, but we didn't. So the very hopeful part is what's on the horizon, and it is a great and a glorious uh, future that will happen for the church that has been very clearly prophesied 
through authentic um, Catholic prophets for, you know, and even in the Old Testament, there are very clear references to it in the Old Testament too. But uh, for hundreds of years, this is not something that's new. There are a lot of these visionaries that are out there that, you know, you can go follow this one or that one, and this one contradicts this one, and that one says this, and it's just like, it's tiring. There's so much right now, but that's also a mark of the devil, is that where there's this confusion that's being sown right now. So we are big students of, uh, you know, St. Hildegard and St. Bridget of Sweden, and, uh, and you know, there's, there's a whole litany of them, some of them that you never heard of before, that we hadn't before a few years ago when we really started digging into, like, Venerable Bartholomew Holzhauser. You know, like say that one ten times fast. You know, and but they all very clearly point towards this time, and they they describe this glorious era of the magnificence of the church, to where the you know how we used to talk about in the church we used to talk about Christ the King and the glory of Christ the King as um, as all the world being ordered under Catholic authority, not that the Catholic Church rules the world, but everything being ordered morally towards the church and where state rulers will uh, like you know, take spiritual direction from the church and pray and go directly to God and understand their authority comes from God. Like this is a properly ordered world and we're not there. You know, thanks largely to the French Revolution and the Freemasons and like there's a whole reason why we're not there. And that's, that also is part of the very deliberate societal attack to get us to this point where we are, where they think they're going to you know, flip things over and establish a new world order and all of that kind of business. But the, um, right at the 11th hour, when we go from being pregnant to the point where the glorious dawn comes at the beginning of this era of peace, and Christ institutes his reign on earth, his Eucharistic reign, Okay, so this is not, there's, there is a heresy called millenarianism where um, people have thought that <coughs> Jesus was going to come back and rule as a temporal ruler, kind of like the Jews wanted in the first place, and, uh, and establish either a military or a political um, uh, government where he was the head and it was going to be heaven on earth because <coughs> he was here. That's not the case, and that's not what's going to happen. But there is this era of peace that's coming, and it's a Eucharistic reign. And it is also very much the reign of Mary. So she, as our queen, and he as our Eucharistic king, and the whole world being Catholic. And, oh, by the way, when it references Satan being chained up for a thousand years um, in the book of Revelation, so, you know, like, and the, and the dragon was cast down into the pit, and he was chained for a thousand years. Well, that's what's going to happen, meaning that temptation is gone. Let me say that again. Temptation is gone. And everybody's Catholic. And because the holiness of the Garden of Eden, for generally, for the whole world, for the, so for the whole world to participate in the, um, in the what's, what John Paul the Great called the new and divine holiness, for everyone to participate in it, the devil has to be gone, right? And he will be, because Mary's going to crush his head. And and so that's when we get, there's there's a lot behind these things. I'll just touch on them real quickly. But that's when we get the, like, what's called the great monarch. So there will be this divinely appointed king that comes kind of like Charlemagne did in the 800s and, you know, and united 
all the Christian world. Well, there will be some man that comes and unites the whole world, and there will be uh, some kings around that are united with him. Everyone is um, subject to, spiritually subject to the church, and society is ordered, and there's, um, you know, there are a whole bunch of concepts in here, but there's one called subsidiarity, where like you, you, you're, the family is the focus of all society, and there and and holy vocations come, and there'll be um, there was you probably have heard this. Uh, Saint Louis de Montfort talked about how in the final days that the saints there would be saints on the earth who were uh, higher than all the rest of the saints, like the cedars of Lebanon were above shrubs. This is in um, True Devotion to Mary. And, uh, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these times that are coming very soon. And the holiness that will drive, that will give us life, that will sustain, that, that will be the, the heartbeat of this era of peace is what's called the gift of the divine will. And that is where Jesus comes and he offers the original holiness that Adam and Eve had. And he says, now it's time for me to fulfill that petition in the Our Father. Where, just like all of, if you think about how all of the angels and all of the saints in heaven perfectly live, like, instantly and without question and completely in harmony, the will of the Father in heaven, because it's perfect in heaven, and they are all one, with the extension down to earth, of that same will that chooses everything and gives life to everything and orders things in the home. Like there's no strife in the home. There's no strife at work. There's no strife with the church. We don't have pedophiles running around. Like none of this, none of this happens because if you think of that, all of, the, all of us sinners, if we had the will of the Father to do perfectly, just like the saints and angels did, it would literally be heaven on earth, right? Well, that's the point. And that's what's coming. And it's going to be so glorious that it's going to be the highest point, the absolute crown of all of history on this day seven, this era of peace. So, that having been said, like that's, that's the goal, and that's what we feel really strongly to draw people to, uh, because it's, it's really easy now, and it, primarily what happens now with all of the things that are going on in the world and in the church, the apostasy, and you know all of the crimes that are being committed, and the fact that that society of every, you know all the countries around the world is unraveling at this very rapid pace, or I should say differently, is being unraveled because it, there's a nefarious plan behind it all that is being executed very well on their part. It's really easy to get. You know, to, to keep your eyes down on the horizon and to look at that and the comings and goings and get trapped in it and, and think, oh no, you know, like what's going to happen next? Or, I got to figure out, or is Black Lives Matter really just this communist thing? And well, yes, it is. But, yeah. but <laughs> in other words, but the point is, but to follow the tactics of the devil is tiring. And in a certain sense, it's pointless. Because he has an angelic intelligence, and he also, I mean, everybody knows this the, the vision of uh, Pope Leo XIII when he wrote the St. Michael prayer, when uh, Satan appeared to Jesus and asked for more time, and Jesus said, 
uh, it, more time to destroy the church. He said, you can have more more time, how much do you need? I need 100 years, and I need more power over the people that will give themselves over to me. Well, he certainly got that within and without the church. And so these people have been basically taking marching orders from the devil at an unprecedented rate and with unprecedented fidelity to the devil. And they just they go do what he wants to do, what's done. And, and so that's my point. It's like following all of that and understanding what the enemy is up to, it's, we have to do it to a certain extent to be able to explain to people what's going on. Granted. Yes, ma'am. So, what happens to all these bad people? What, do they die? Do they just disappear? Do no. they become holy? What happens to them? People who don't even believe in God. What happens to them? So, um, we just had, what was it, 2016 was the year of mercy? So that was a prelude to the greatest mercy that is coming. There is an event that is on the horizon, the probably the relatively near horizon, that um, is called the warning. And it's called, or the uh, illumination of conscience. Um, in Spanish, it's called el aviso. So it's like the advisory kind of. And... Um, this is the greatest mercy, aside from the redemption itself, but as far as intervention into human history, is the greatest mercy that our Lord will grant to the whole world in all of human history. And it is a, there, there will be an instant in time where basically time stops. Kind of like in the book of Daniel when the sun went backwards. Right. You know, like God can play with the time however he wants. But he, uh, at the same moment, he is going to give all seven billion people in the world his or her um, particular judgment, as if we had died. And it's and this is, this constitutes the greatest mercy. Why? Because exactly what you're asking about, man. That there are so many people who are so far from God, they have no idea about what's right or wrong, much less whether God exists. And so this mercy is that he stops, you're in an airplane, it kind of freezes in the sky or however you want to think about it. You're under the ocean, you know, you're at home, you're anywhere, like it doesn't matter. At the same moment, everyone stands face to face, like in the Marine Corps we say you got to stand on the carpet and stand tall in front of the man, like you have to stand at attention and go, <laughs> get, you know, go get inspected or whatever. Every one of us is going to have to stand tall in front of the man and go get our judgment. And we will know without a shadow of a doubt what, you know, what sin is, what we have done, where our soul stands, heaven or hell-wise, if we were to die at that moment and get our judgment. And um, another name for it is called the correction of conscience, because consciences have been killed. And so that's, this is the net by which he is going to go gather up all the lost souls, and then after we come out of it, you know, some people may die of shot for health reasons or whatever, but largely people aren't going to die. You're going to come back and you're going to say, okay, now I know either I, so God exists, uh, he's, he's real, and I can choose God or I can choose the world. And you very clearly make a choice, and those who choose against God are going to very quickly go into the camp of the devil, and they're going to be the... Um, they're going to be the primary actors on the part of the Antichrist. And then 
the ones who say yes to God are going to be the ones that get persecuted, and we have to go into our, you know, underground churches and, you know, and all of this kind of business over time, right? It's not tomorrow. Well, no, it's not. Though this is this is this is labor and deliveries. What this is. Yeah. My name's Brandon. You sort of answered it, but I, this is the prophecy of Gower Mandel from nineteen sixty-five. Um, yes, and other places. Yes. And other places. Yes. As well. So I did remember from reading that prophecy where mm -hmm. they talked about the fact that many would die from fright. Some would choose God. Some wouldn't choose God. Mm -hmm. Although I knew nothing past that, <laughs> but my question was, well, what happens with those who don't choose God? Then they get hardened in their sin. So it's worse than it was before. Essentially, it sounds that way. Doesn't it? What's that after so, the warning? So how how is it how is that different than it was before? If they're still if they're still choosing bad, and those people who are choosing good are still choosing good, and they're still there causing trouble, how is that different than before? Because uh, those who for no fault of their own or through simple negligence were slipping on the road to hell, then those are the ones that this is meant to catch. So so men and women of goodwill who can be converted. Can we go on the side of the house or up there? Sure. Okay. Stay in the shade. Okay. Ice pops. Can I have ice pops? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so those who can be converted will be converted. And that's the great grace. But the reason that it's going to get worse afterwards is because the restrainer will be left, will be lifted. Meaning that right now Our Lady is holding back um, the hand of her son's justice. And I mean, and she said this all over the world. She's like, I'm, she said, I'm holding back the, my son's justice. He wants to strike the earth because the, the sins of mankind cry to heaven for justice and all of this. And so once that is lifted, then, then the plans of the Antichrist and his manifestation are accelerated. And then it's, it's kind of basically, everything comes out. There's a lot that's in the public eye right now, and you can tell the, the plans of the evil one. about like if they've got concentration camps or if they've got this or that or the other that we weren't really sure right now it's just rumors and we kind of go about our daily lives like that's when the plans go into action so and where, when, when is the thousand years of peace i missed something so there, there's a sequence of events here so the warning comes first then within a year after the warning is a uh, a great sign called the miracle that's going to be at, uh, there, there will be different ones around the world. So Fatima, there's going to be one at Garibaldal. Mexico? Um, Mexico City. Or at, um, Our Lady Guadalupe. Guadalupe. Yeah. At a lot of the, uh, the major Marian shrines, there will be these, we, we don't know exactly what they are, but they're going to be these miraculous signs that people, it's kind of like the, um, the serpent on the, the pole that Moses had to make. People looked at it and they were healed. So like everything has a type in, in the church. There's like a, a model of it. And so you look at these miracles, that, and then people are healed and they're converted, and you know that God exists, and they're so wonderful. It's like it completely converts you. So there will be these, um, these miracles that happen and that are public manifestations, and they stay. Apparently, they're going to be permanent, stay till the end of time. So the warning happens, and then within within a year, the miracle happens, and then 
you know, then there's like all these different parts of this, you know, the, the chastisement and all of this that, you know, with a, you know, with, it's biblical. Like there's war, there's pestilence, there's natural disasters, like all these things that we have some of now, but it just, it, it ramps up to a degree where it's almost untenable anymore. And then when things seem the worst, then at the very end of it all, there's the, um, the three days of darkness. And the three days of darkness is where the. Um, I was just gonna say, would you mind just give it, just throw out the um, the approved apparitions that this this has all been foretold by many people throughout the years in scripture. Could you just throw out some so for the reference? Yeah. So um, I mean, honestly, there's there are references to the warning in Saint Faustina's diary. Yes, and the miracle. Um, Padre Pio, um, uh, St. Louis de Montfort. Um, there are... So a lot of this with the warning comes from uh, comes from Garibandal, uh, which is a, it's an apparition site in Spain, in northern Spain. Um, Just add to that one yeah. thing. So um, my best friend growing up, uh, we lost uh, touch when we moved here, but from we went to school from, from first grade through we graduated, we had our first kids together, we were in Lamaze classes together, mm -hmm. we were very close. Anyway, her aunt is Conchita, the visionary of Garabandel. So I've always known that there was validity to Garabandel, even though it hasn't been approved yet because it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Right. Um, so anyway, it just has always, um, I, and there was never, it's not like she was ever talked about a lot in the family or anything, it was just like the end, you know? Um, but I always, I've always known about this, and so I just know, I don't know, to me, I know it's real. I mean, yeah. I know, I know, because I know the family, you know? Um, can you look up what those, um, there were two, uh, very well done documentaries that were just released on Garibandal. I don't know if anybody remembers the name, like Waterfall of Grace or something like that. Anybody there's remember? a new one, right? Yeah, there's two. Yeah, it just okay. came out like a couple weeks ago, and there's one that came out a year ago. Okay, I didn't see the but new one. Well worth watching. They're like a, um, an hour a piece. Um, One's a full length movie, actually. Yeah. It's a movie, but um, it doesn't really talk that much about the actual. Um, Miracles or things that are going to happen didn't talk about what they experienced. Yeah. Just so the documentary kinda, would be better. I think so. I yeah. think the documentary would be more. We'll more see if we it. can find the um, the name. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's, remember? I, I'm trying to think. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. But the doc, yeah. I do agree with the documentary. So, but yeah. yeah. Um, so. So you're referring to the three days of darkness, which yes. I remember from that prophecy. Yeah. What was after that? So actually. Day four, after the three days of darkness, is day one of the era of peace. So, yeah. So, wow. so the the three days of darkness is a um, is a, the changing of the era. That's that's the close of day six of the work week, and you know Sunday morning is right after the three days of darkness. But um, our Lord promised never to destroy the earth again with water at the flood. And Our Lady has said many places that um, the world right now is worse than it was before the flood, which 
by the way, the flood was an historical event. It actually did happen. And you know, you get a lot of this modernist scientists that have gotten in the church and say, well, it's kind of myth, and we don't really know about Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And no, it absolutely will. All of that is, is actual history. Um, and you kind of need to understand that, that it was history, and that this is it's kind of like this compact timeline that, um, that we're working our way through. And you know we're, we haven't been around for 14 billion years, and because people tend to think, well, you know, things are going to happen later. It's slower, and like evolution really has crept in and has has just undermined. There's this erosion that has happened under the faith, and why? Because it's really important to understand to reference back towards um, in for church history to reference back to the flood. The flood happened because of the sins of mankind. God basically wiped the face of the earth clean and started over again. And we're worse now than we were before the flood. And by the way, there's, um, do you remember where the, the reference was that it was sins of impurity that were the main thing before the flood? Also, I, oh, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, that's one. Yes. Uh, yes. 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 She, she absolutely did. <laughs> so there's a, a four volume set called The Life of Jesus Christ by um, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich that is almost second to none. It's beautiful. It's, it's, beautiful. it's amazing. And, um, but it gives great detail about everything from day one on creation um, all the way through Jesus' life and a little after with the Acts of the Apostles. Um, but in any case, it tried, it, she was able to see and she described um, uh, what, like, what the world was like before the flood and and so this time, because our Lord promised not to use water again, it's going to be fire. And um, however, there's a there's a footnote. However, comma the Christians fire. Well, but for those close to Our Lady, and you know, and or at least in a state of grace. That who are goodwill and have taken refuge in the heart of the church, then we have nothing to fear. As a matter of fact, this time should be so exciting because the harvest is rich. And there are people, when, when there's the earthquake and it unsettles your foundation of this, you know, cute little house that you built and the, the life that you have and the stuff that you're going to get and, you know, coming and going in the world. And then when that gets unsettled and you're like, wait, you know, what do I have left? Then the average American is just like at 9-11, is a lot more open to the faith. It's just the way it works. You gotta get literally shaken out of your comfort zone. So for us, this is the word of encouragement for us as apostles of Jesus Christ, we have to be ready to capitalize on the insecurity because we have to realize that we are secure and that we're going to be sheltered during the three days of darkness. <clears throat> like it's, as long as you don't look outside and you have to close your win windows and stay inside and pray and there's going to be this huge earthquake going on, it's going to be completely crazy and the demons running around and you think that you, you know, you think that you're going to hear your, uh, your neighbor or your relative knocking at the door, but you can't open it. So, I mean, you need to like read up a little bit on the three days of darkness, but it's not a lot. And don't be scared and just understand that there will be uh, miracles and signs and wonders like in the apostolic times 
that every one of you is going to be called to perform. To be literal apostles, literal healers, literal, literal miracle workers through the power of Jesus Christ. And it is, this is the time to come out of our comfort zone and to realize who we are as our birthright as Christians. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. So and we need to exercise it. Do we know when uh, Jesus' three days are coming? Because I, a friend of mine, she was getting to overwhelmed by a priest telling her that by the fall, this fall, something is happening. So, like, some people are getting all, uh, overwhelmed. And yeah. I say, if we trust in the Lord, if we believe in Him, so that's the most important message. Fear is never of the Lord. That's why our orientation should be that like we're overjoyed this is happening. Because over the last 50 years, 60, 70 years, kind of since World War II, or maybe even probably since the 20s, that's good, the moral decadence really started sweeping in through like the, you know, the flapper years and the 19 roaring 20s and all of that, that that the, the moral decline during the century of Satan has been so steep that people have just got, have, now everybody thinks that all of this moral, this uh, sexual immorality and the moral perversity and the greed and all these things we chase after are normal somehow. That is the most detrimental thing to souls. Like, as Our Lady showed those sweet little children at Fatima, their souls falling into hell like snowflakes. And that was in 1917. It's way worse now. Sort of following up on what she said, you know, with all that's going on, even pre, you know, pandemic and things like that, uh, you know, I mean, we're all, I think, of the age where we've seen a dramatic shift, you know, in culture, you know, uh, worldwide, not just in the United States. And, you know, and following, you know, church, you know, through its mystics and prophets and things like that, but, so I guess, to me, like, the important question is, all right, so, given this knowledge that we have, uh, what, what is it that God calling us to do with that, uh, because, I, you know, speaking personally myself, you know, uh, you know, there's a tent. For me, I could have a tendency to like get caught up in the uh, wanting to feel like I'm going to control, you know, like I'm going to I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to prevent you know A, B, and C happening right. to me and my family, right. type of thing. Which, from what I understand, is probably not the true Christian attitude to have towards uh, prophecy and, and mysticism, you know. So, so like. How, you know, give, being given, you know, the privilege, you know, being given the privilege to have information, you know, how, how do you handle that information with the proper, you know, what, what response does God ask? That's a great question. So, basically, when we're given this gift of understanding what's going on, then what does that impinge on us? What's our responsibility? How, how should we respond? Um, well, kind of like Our Lady did when she said, no, uh, kind of like Our Lady did with, uh, 
Yeah, exactly. Like at the wedding feast, again, do whatever he tells you. We, um, there's a, there's a, a scriptural adage, and I forget where it comes from, but to those, or from those to whom more has been given, more will be required. And what our Lord cares about exclusively is the salvation of souls and giving glory to the Father. Those two things. And so when he equips us, then he equips us specifically for a mission. And the mission principally is to save souls and give glory to the Father. And so when we have this knowledge, then... The, like the personal discernment on what to do is um, is individual and the answer in discernment always comes along with peace always and so if we feel there's some sort of anxiety like for instance if uh, let's say that you did know about this you knew something was coming and you felt like you know what I am going to get a piece of property and I'm going to get it ready so that my family and you know maybe some other people can come and we're going to take care of ourselves and we're going to you know ask the priest to come out and bless it and you know maybe it can be a safe haven because there are refuges and um, everyone will be directed to one at the time you know your house your house very well may be one whether you know it or not and and so those are absolutely the case and when it's time, kind of like when Joseph got the tap on the shoulder in the middle of the night, get up and go to Egypt and go right now, it's, that's going to happen. And you may have people show up at your place and you didn't realize it was a safe haven, but, you know, lo and behold, like our Lord's providing you all the resources you need, somebody comes with this and that, and, you know, or you, you know, a, a, a spring pops up in your backyard like at Lourdes. It's happened. You know, it, so the discernment for each family. And what you need to do is absolutely individual. Um, we have just discerned for probably five years that we needed to build out a place like that, and we have. And so and we're just on the other side of Willow Street, so anybody's welcome and, and things go crazy because it's not for us. But, Mike, I get so uh, confused about it because it's like I trust the Lord so much, right? Yeah. And I'm like, if we are like on our father, like you will be done. Like, why do we have to like worry? Like Jacob, Mary, they don't even know where where they're going, where they're gonna eat, but they trust the Lord. Yes. Yeah. So Jennifer, thank you. That's a that's a great question. Basically, do we? Um, everything comes in balance. Okay. There is there's there's a heresy called quietism. Quietism, and it's not just about you know prepping and end times and all that kind of stuff. Um, quietism it has been throughout the, the centuries of the church defined as saying, um, "Lord, your will be done, and be done to the extent to where I'm not going to choose anything, and I'm just going to wait right here for you to do everything." And so it's like a, it's a passive orientation towards the Lord, and it's a heresy. Um, there, then there is something along the lines of activism, where it says, uh, it's kind of like with the Protestant uh, orientation, 
where kind of name it and claim it, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna run and jump myself off of a, uh, a building and God's gonna save me because I'm gonna pray him into it. It's kind of like, or using the Lord as a, a, a vending machine. I put a quarter in, I get something out. It's like he's a, you know, a trick pony. Um, so that's not proper either, but those are kind of two ends of the spectrum. There's discernment in the middle that says if we get this knowledge and then we pray about it, and peace. Peace is always the marker of the Holy Spirit coming. And we get peace about what we're being called to do. And we say, yeah, kind of like one of our favorites is Samuel when he gets called in the middle of the night and, and he says, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. There, there's some good friends of ours who are um, the, there's this priestly order and they form their, you know, the, the young people. And, and the Latin version of that is presto sum. You know, it's kind of like, like here I am. You come standing up attention, and like ready to go. And so if you if you have that orientation, like, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want, but then you act based on what you think he wants you to do in peace, then that's kind of like, um, my, I have a brother who's a priest, and um, they say <coughs> that the Holy Spirit nudges, but he only nudges, and we're kind of like a rock and up on top of a hill. This is probably like from St. Ignatius or something, I don't know, but they say it, so that's where I heard it from. And if you get yourself rolling, if you're the rock and you get yourself rolling, then the Holy Spirit can nudge you and course correct you. But if you sit still and do nothing, say, well, the Lord's going to take care of all of it, I don't have to worry about it, and just sit there, you know, the Holy Spirit will nudge you, but it's not enough to get the rock rolling. So, are we, you know, is every family called to... You know, go do this? No. Is every family called to go do that? No. But some families are called to do this, and some families are called to do that, because there are many parts of the body of Christ. You know, and this right hand works on this over here, this left hand works on this over here, but we all have to do our part, we don't know what it is, and we know plenty of people who are just prayer warriors. And, like, we have, actually this one friend who's a hermit. You know, God bless her. And, but you know what? When she prays for something, we see it. It happens. And, and so everybody's called to a different thing, but it's kind of like this grand orchestra, and our Lord is the, the orchestra conductor. And so if you're sitting in the brass section, well, you need to go play your brass part. You know, and you're over here, and like, or you're like the big kettle drum, and you're the only one. Well, if you don't hit that, nobody else is going to. So all of it working together in concert is we have to discern what our Lord's calling us to. And, but... You can do that without knowledge of the signs of the times, which our Lord told us to look for them. But if even without that, the Holy Spirit coordinates everyone into the mystical body of Christ like we should be. Even without the knowledge of this, you know, end times and all this kind of stuff, then you can still discern the Holy Spirit and do what you're supposed to do. But with it, we find that our human frailty wants to get comfortable. Let's see, oh, well, it's okay, I'll get to it later not that big a deal. The constant reminder by being able to interpret current events against the backdrop of what we know our Lord has told us is the sequence of events that it leads up to this, as our dear sweet St. Therese called it, the time of times. St. Therese, by the way, was um, she lamented the fact, you know, kind of like holy envy. She lamented the fact that uh, that she wasn't born a hundred years later than she was, because she wished she had been able to live through the time of times.
she was born in 
this message that this is the body of Christ with the actions of the shepherds that are supposed to be leading the flock doing exactly the opposite of what they're saying. I mean, um, we have, we're trying to hold on to that faith, you know what I mean, regardless of what they do, but it's disheartening. It's, um, it's crushing to see it. And we're looking everywhere else to see is there, you know, some guy in the cross Wisconsin who's got the message? Yeah, right. I know, I know. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know. <laughs> no, it's supportive. Place, yeah, through, you know, but you know what I'm saying. In support of your guys. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting because right before we brought that up, I was thinking, you know, like, where is the church in all of this? You know, uh, that, you know, one of the things that happened in this pandemic was, you know, where things got shut down. For me, I thought, man, what a horrible, horrible thing because our leaders, you know, I felt, you know, it, and I've heard other people make reference to this before that, you know, the church is kind of going through its own passion the same way Christ did, you know, before, you know, Good Friday, you know, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And that, you know, you know, because growing up, you know, it's like I was born in 64, so, you know, I'm a Vatican II, you know, brought up with that. And, you know, so what I was given, you know, now my, my mother was still very, uh, you know, she had a Latin mass, you know, when she, uh, for her funeral and things like that. And I never quite understood, you know, what, you know, what, what all this division was because, you know, you're brought into something, you think this is, you know, you're, you are you where know. you are, you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, so you don't really question it in that sense, but at the same time, too, like when, you know, I was having a mother that would teach me certain things, you know, about the Catholic Church, but then going to Catholic school, a lot of priests and teacher, lay teachers, you know, were very, in my opinion, just, you know, not teaching what I was being taught at home as far as the Catholic faith, and I, I found that very... You know, just and I think that very happens. angry, you know, because I felt, you know, like, so this whole pandemic thing, it just sort of brought about, you know, we don't have leadership here to say, you know, it's like, what about all these people that, that gave their life, you know, because they, they believed in, you know, the Lord, you know, they, they died for that, and yet our leaders are willing to yeah. simply say, you know, so, you know, so how... So even for us to be sitting here, it's like, what do we really believe, and, you know, and why do we believe it? And you know, like you know, as a kid, you know, my dad used to take us to Gettysburg, and I used to, you know, think about the Civil War, and, and like that was such a an atrocity of human life loss. You know, how did these guys get up knowing they're walking into, you know, a, a flaming you know, cauldron of yeah. hot metal being thrown at you, knowing what your chances were next to nothing. But they did it because they believed in something, or maybe they had other motives too. But, but, but even for us as Christians, you know, and I always often thought about that. How, how, how do you get to the point of being a martyr? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it yeah. just stories? Yeah. I mean, you know. Because I feel, I feel like the church itself doesn't talk about any of this. You know, we're told that, you know, you know whether you support this president or not, you know, something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And and we're just told to sit back. But yeah. I support what you were saying because I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I have an image that I'd like to share if I may. Because I, I wrestle with, I'm sure we all wrestle with a lot of this. I, I've come to sort of think about the church kind of like you know, maybe Noah's Ark, still kind of around, but has maybe on the edges eroded over the years. But deep in the very heart of this ship, this ark, is this treasure, which is the Eucharist. storms of history and perhaps during the worst storm of history and still another to, to come. And all during these times, and especially now, you know, we're being shaken about, we're seasick, um, you know, the, the captain of the ship is, you know, not doing his job, the guy who does the navigation is, you know, screwing it all up, they replace him and he doesn't know what he's doing or he's purposely steering us in the wrong direction. Yeah. You've got people jumping off the ship. You've got people, you know, going to the next ship that passes by because it looks like it might last a little longer or it might have reclining seats. But what it doesn't have, and the only ship that has it is the one that we're on that has been there since the beginning of time and to which we are called to stay on. But we are holding on for dear life. Yes. Yeah, we are in the company of each other, and each of us has a job on that ship that yeah. we need to do. Whether it's to row, or to cook the meat, or to whatever it is. But we can't, it's difficult and it's upsetting because we can't, we feel like we can't, and we probably can't always trust those who have been given some level of authority over us, yeah. or even the person that we work side by side with. And I'm sorry if it's not a great vision, but it's kind of one that no, I love. No, it's very good. Really yeah, it's very good. But, but we don't need this ship, because this is where the treasure is. Shouting in a windstorm, though, when we're telling the truth. I can't stand it. I mean, I really can't. I think that's the hook. That's the hook. Shouting in a windstorm, though. We do have to tell the truth, and we can tell the to the people that we can reach. We can tell the truth, but the the image of the mystical body of Christ following the pattern of the typical or the physical body of Christ is completely accurate. And if we look at it in the context of the pattern that Jesus set us when he was born, had his hidden life, and was, you know, grew in wisdom and stature and maturity in, in the eyes of men and all that, but then had a um, public ministry 
had his uh, was betrayed by his uh, one of his closest apostles, like one of the twelve men that he had chosen. Um, went through false so falsely accused. Went through his passion, death, three days of darkness, mm. resurrection, then forty days of glorious of his glorified body on earth, thank you very much, before he was, um, before he ascended. And we look at the pattern. So it's, you, you can't fit everything precisely in the pattern, but it's very close. And then where we are right now clearly is in the passion, probably hanging on the cross and very close to dying in order that we can go through the, the change of the era and then come back Easter morning in a glorified body and, and enjoy this era of peace, the day seven. And so the fact that it's actually, this guy's going to pick up my report, he's not going to do anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Perfect timing, right? Only on a But keeping in mind that this is the way that our Lord wants it to happen, that he has to prune, he has to cut dead wood, it's, it's cathartic what we're going through right now. And so the fact that there's so much cancer that has gotten into and has metastasized all around the body of Christ, that it's that ship that we're on, it's almost like our Lord is... Like through the hands of the evil, um, you know, helmsmen and the folks who are trying to sabotage the engine and all this kind of stuff, like through them, unwittingly as partners of our Lord's plan, he's steering it right onto the rocks so that it breaks and falls apart so that we can have the resurrection to, unless, you know, a grain of wheat falls and dies, then it can't produce any fruit. Well, you know what? That's what's happening. And so, there's a certain sense that you can change your orientation and say, all right, Lord, bring it on. Let's do this thing. Because there's so much good that comes from the excising, the surgery, the removal of the cancer that's there. Like, we don't want it to go back post or pre-coronavirus. We don't want it to go back to where it's like, you know, happy and distracted in the world yes. and doing all this and, and you know, uh, sins of impurity throughout the ranks of the clergy and, you know, and laity too, but just has totally infected the body of Christ. Like, no, let, let's continue down the path of destruction, so-called, to the point where we can get to the, res to the resurrection. Let's go. Buckle your seatbelts, kids. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. Are we all going to be called to the Latin Mass? So, I, yeah. So I, I haven't heard that particular detail, but we do know that there are lots of problems with the Novus Ordo Mass. Um, is the is the consecration at at the Novus Ordo Mass invalid? Absolutely not. It can't be. Like there are some people who say that 
the only valid consecration is at the Latin Mass, and you know, and only the pre-1962 missile, and that's just that that's absolutely impossible because our Lord, uh, first of all, there have been Eucharistic miracles at Novus Ordo Masses, right? Um, are there is there a lot to be uh, left to be desired at the at how Novus Ordo Masses go and you know, and by their fruits you will know them, right? Like there's a lot of people who are just completely wandering away, like, since Vatican II, like, the, the numbers of Catholics who enter the seminary, enter religious life, actually go to Mass, actually practice their faith, it's fallen off a cliff. It, there, it's a very cut-and-dry, clear case that this has been part of the intentional shipwreck of the Church, is by gutting the Mass. So, it's, you know, whether it's celebrated according to the rubrics of the pre-1962 um, Trinity Missal or not, um, what I, I don't know. But what I will guarantee is that in the era of peace, the Mass will have the spirit, the traditional spirit of the sacrifice of the Mass, the reparation, the prayerfulness, the, the intention that the faithful bring to it that we used to have. And in particular, used to have, especially during apostolic times, so. I have a question about what happens after this um, that was a thousand years yeah. the era of peace and, and perhaps it'll tie in with how can we reconcile you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven with my kingdom is not of this world right mm-hmm. so um, of this world means worldly so it doesn't mean on the world because in creation so God established so he God created creation right so creation is not bad that's Manichaeism uh, so it says that all matter is bad and only spirit is good that's kind of like the dualism and whatnot uh, so creation is not bad creation is good and he created us in the beginning to be happy and holy with the divine sanctity on earth but that's not of this world so what he was referring to there was the spirit of the world. So it's not, he was trying to tell the Jews, which they were expecting a, like a political Messiah to come and rescue them from the Romans and establish you know, the Jerusalem forever, impervious to all kinds of uh, military enemies and all of that, uh, and you know, give them their Mercedes Benz and all this kind of stuff. That's of the world. And so um, redeeming creation which, what does St. Paul say, groans in anticipation of the redemption of the children of God. Like, that's clearly pointed towards the freeing of all of creation from sin. So that creation, including mankind and us in our, in our physical bodies, which is the beauty of the theology of the body that points to all of this, um, that when all of creation is ordered again, that his kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom in heaven should include creation. So it's the connection of heaven and earth, which is the fullness of the kingdom of God. Hope that makes sense. And then what happens after the era of peace? So, so after the era of peace, then time's done. That's when at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about how then for a short period of time, Satan is unchained. And then um, 
and I forget whether there's like a final test of the just or not, because there may have been some people who were born in the era of peace and they haven't been tested. So I, I, I could be wrong on that point. On you know on the the dynamics between Satan when he's unchained and the people who live in the era of peace, but I think that there's a test for them because everybody has to have a test. Uh, but then is the end of time. It is the final. Then there's the final judgment. So. And yeah, yeah, and about a bodily resurrection of all the dead for the, the the general judgment. So we all have our particular judgment. That's the general judgment. Yeah. So it's an eternity, right? So there's no time. It's not like they're gonna. It's there's a future. There's not like it's really a future for them. It's called the eternal now. Like there's no there's no past and future in heaven, or or in hell for that matter. It's it's eternity. So in eternity, you can look at time, and you can look at creation. You can look at the year um, one A.D. You can look at all of it. Like you can see it all in a glance. It's like you can imagine it's like on a line. So I mean to say that they go into heaven and they come back into time later is it's not really that way because they're in eternity um, but they will be reunited with their uh, with their bodies in that case it'll be glorified bodies and they'll come back to stand on the right of Jesus with the sheep and will purgatory will be done at that point yeah so at, at, at that final judgment whoever's still in purgatory either goes up or down <laughs> have seen these, but countdowntothekingdom.com is very good. And uh, we're friends with, um, so Mark Mallett and Daniel O'Connor, who are doing the series on the, the seven seals, y'all may have seen them. Um, I had the two of them at a conference that I put on in November. And so they were kind of two of my headline speakers, along with a couple other folks. And they're, um, they're really, really wonderful men and um, very trustworthy. Uh, so that's one, is Countdown to the Kingdom. Um, but then secondly, Daniel wrote a book. He wrote two books, actually, that are very good. The um, One of them is a reference book. It's called um, The Crown of Sanctity. But it's, it's like 500-something pages, and they're like this big, and it's really dense, and so it's kind of a reference book. The one that's readable is the summary version of that, and it's called The, um, the, the Crown of, Crown of History. The Crown of History, and so the, and he puts it out for free. So it's a it's a PDF that you can download, or he just asks for like a few dollars to cover print. He doesn't make any money on it. He, it's that important. He's like, listen, I'll make my profits in heaven. Like this, he's a great guy. It's but, also available. He recorded it on audio or on YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah. So you can just start listening to it tonight. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, The Crown of History by uh, Professor Professor Daniel O'Connor, and. Um, and so, yes, he's in Albany. Yes, has a beard. Yeah. Where does he teach? Um, one of the state universities. Okay. What are the yeah. SUNY. SUNY. One of the SUNYs. Yeah, he's a philosophy or something like that. Yeah, he, he lives in Albany. Oh, really? 
So those are those are two great resources. Uh, Daniel's website is not that great because it, there's just a lot of blog stuff on there. It's kind of hard to navigate. Uh, it's much more approachable. He's been putting a lot of his content on uh, countdowntothekingdom.com. So uh, that one's very good. And Queen of Peace Media has um, that's where that's the YouTube ID that they're putting a lot of their talks on. Uh, so just a few minutes on. Um, on Daniel and this, and on our apostolate, which is connected, and uh, so the the era of peace. So our, our Lord appeared to uh, an Italian mystic by the name of the servant of God, Luisa Picaretta. She was born in 1864, I think, uh, the late 1800s, and she died in 1947, and she lived for 64 years in bed on the Holy Eucharist only. And every night, so that's all she, and, but her bishop ordered her to eat something. And so she ate like a piece of pasta and a grape. And she chewed it and swallowed it down, but then she she spit it back up because she was obedient to the ecclesiastical authority where our Lord said, I only want me inside you, nobody else. And so she was obedient to both. And so there was this little tray and she's, after she chewed it, she spit it back up whole, it's like it wasn't chewed. And so it's like, <laughs> And then every night, our Lord would take her soul out of her body, and he would go around, and he would show her everything he did from the beginning of time for all of creation, why he did it, and all the sins of mankind that he asked her to make reparation for. And he taught her this divine science on how to um, basically exchange wills with the Father. And it doesn't mean that your will ceases to exist, but... Um, it's the way that everyone will live in the era of peace. It's how Adam and Eve lived before the fall. It's the, it's the original holiness of mankind that we were meant to have, but that we couldn't have between the fall and now, except for Our Lady. So Our Lady was the only one that died, um, having lived the will of the Father perfectly on earth, just like the saints and angels do in heaven. Obviously, she's Our Lady. But... That was what we were all made for. So this holiness that um, St. Louis de Montfort talked about, like this, that will surpass all the saints, like the cedars of Lebanon do over the lowest shrub. He was referring to the, uh, the era of peace, and even now we can begin, imperfectly we can begin, um, to live the life of heaven on earth, like Our Lady did, like Adam and Eve did before the fall. And... Been, so there's been nobody else except those three who entered heaven having accepted the will of the Father who can operate in your human soul in time. So in other words, for you to have such a perfect unison with God that what he wants, he can kind of do in you like he did in the holy humanity of Jesus, like he did in Our Lady without any reservation, without any block whatsoever, without the human will putting a stop to what he wants to do, so, and not on human power, so to speak. And so this St. Hannibal de Francia that I mentioned in the beginning, I really, I want to pinch myself every day. Oh. I forget what I was talking about. Um, so Saint, yeah, St. Hannibal de Francia. Um, who was uh, Luisa's uh, extraordinary confessor for the last 17 years of his life. 
he founded two religious um, orders, the Rogationists and the Daughters of Divine Zeal or something. And, um, and Melanie from La Salette was uh, in the women's branch. And um, so he was her spiritual director too. And, uh, but they all complained to St. Hannibal, like, well, you're our, our general director and our founder, but we never see you anymore because you're always with Louisa. And uh, he was, so he, he gave the imprimatur to the first 19 volumes of her, she had wrote 36 volumes of her diary that explains how to live the life of heaven and like what our Lord was giving us. And, um, and so he kind of dedicated the last part of his life exclusively to that. And it's, um, our Lord gave the title to, these, to this diary, he called it the Book of Heaven. The return of the creature to the order the purpose and the place for which he was created in the beginning. The return of the creature. So for us to go back to what he wanted us to be through Adam and Eve that they lost. This is the restoration of the original holiness of mankind. And it is what is going to be general in the era of peace, but it's what is now available to souls who are interested. It's like nothing else. And we talk about this destruction of the church. The phoenix that comes out of the ashes of this auto-demolition of the Roman Catholic Church, the phoenix that comes out of the ashes is these children of Our Lady who go through this time that we're in and to begin to live the new and divine holiness that's called the gift of the divine love. In a nutshell, that's what we're talking about. Just an interesting point there, too, is just you think of that moment on the cross with St. John and the Blessed Mother, you know, right before the real church, you know, the, the first, the foundation of the church is destroyed. Yes. Man, uh, yeah. You know, what does he say? Here's your mother. Yeah. So is that, is that what he's telling us now? Oh, yes. No doubt. Nothing happens without her. So interestingly enough, our Lord told Louisa that uh, St. Hannibal was the first soul that entered heaven having lived the divine will on earth since Our Lady. And there was nobody between Our Lady and Adam and Eve. So they're very great saints. Interestingly enough, if y'all remember Jesus talking about St. John the Baptist, he, he said, they're referring to he, um, all the prophets of the Old Testament. And Jesus very curiously, very quizzically, said that there was that there was um, Saint John the Baptist was great, and there was no man, no man, born of woman, greater than John the Baptist. He said it that way. So he excluded his mother. He also excluded Adam and Eve, because those are the only two that were not born of woman. They're high and holy saints. Yes, they sinned. They, according to Anne Crath and Emmerich, they only sinned once. But what they did in the divine will, so to speak, before the fall was all divine holiness. Divine. So, and the point is, and the, so the whole point of this apostolate that we're starting up, Eden Redux, Eden Restored. Now you kind of see the backstory on why this is very important. 
to bring back the original, like our Christ, or nothing, but for Christ to bring back the original holiness of mankind, and for us to be latched onto it like a dog on a bone, mm -hmm. to realize that this is, that there's nothing more important, and to help people to, oh Christian soldier, raise your gaze, up. the dawn is coming, right, like that's the point, that's where we should be focused, it's not on the fray, or on the machinations of the devil, like who cares? We need to help people understand, you know, that communists have infiltrated the Catholic Church and put people like Theodore McCarrick and all these others in there, and they're destroying the church. Yes, they are. To a certain extent, it's a bit of a distraction, and there are a lot of people online that want to say, well, this is doing this, and this is doing that, and it's just... Mm. But the fact that it has to go down before it can get better, it has to, it has to go yes, down. Yes, it has to. Exactly. And accept it in our hearts. Yeah. Really. Right, and not try and hold on to it, but to say, you know what, Lord, let's go save souls, let's get through this, and let's go, let's take a sigh of relief, a deep breath, on day one after the three days of darkness. Let's get there, but you know what, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and let's get some work done. So, let me be really clear. Yes. Pope Francis is the valid pope. He is the Holy Father. He is validly elected. Like, there's no kind of this crazy business about the conclave being usurped and five votes on a Tuesday or whatever it was, and so it's not real. He is absolutely uh, the pope. Now, is he doing some things that are not good? Like, like, a lot of things, maybe all things that are not good? Yes. And is is he part of the machine that is destroying the church? Yes. But does he hold the chair of St. Peter? And is there a guarantee from the Holy Spirit of, uh, of protection of the institution of the Catholic Church under the magisterium led by the Holy Father? Yes. Have there been sinners in that seat plenty of times before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Question for you about that. Is it significant that he has done away with his title as Vicar of Christ. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it, 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 well, not to the point where it invalidates the office of the papacy. Right. No. But he has sort of made he the said, move that he's not using that title. That he's not, yes. It doesn't mean the title doesn't exist, and it doesn't mean that he's not the Pope. What it means is that he personally, that man, objects to who the Pope should be. So it's kind of like a little kid being rebellious and saying, I don't want, you know, no, I don't want to do that. I, wanna, I don't want to wear my coat and tie to mask. Okay, fine. It's, it's, it's personal for him. Uh, but the mystical guarantee from, from the Holy Spirit that we can, that we have to attach ourselves to the Holy Father. You know, whether we like what he says or whether we go read Amoris Laetitia or not, like we don't have to do that, but we have to rest assured that the guarantee of uh, the integrity of the papacy, not in the person of Jorge Bergoglio, but the integrity of the papacy is where we are. We cling to the Holy Father, because if we don't, then we're not Catholic. But who are we? Like, you're schismatic at that point. That's, that's the absolute problem. You get these groups that run off and say, you know, we're a set of vacantists. 
okay, that there's nobody in the chair of St. Peter. Okay, so where's your church? Martin Luther did the same thing 500 years ago. And look what happened. You know, it's like all these people come and say that, you know, well, I know better, so effectively I'm making myself a pope. You can't do that. Now, the, thank you for bringing that because I, I meant to mention something else on the uh, destruction of the church. There have been, um, and I got to make a note to send it out, but there's, has anybody ever heard, uh, it's kind of like an essay, um, and it was recorded audio by the author, by this uh, anonymous Irish priest back in the early 90s. It's called Make Yourself an Ark. It is wonderful. It is a it's, a, it's a magnum opus, and it's actually not that long, but it, it touches on every aspect of the infiltration, and this is, you know, this is what, 30 years ago? Of the infiltration of the church, and I have a, like a Word document copy of it, and I have the audio that I can send out. Um, so I just need somebody to remind me to do that. Um, but it's a, it, it paints a very clear picture of historically how from, you know, 1717 with Jacques de Molay, when they founded the Freemasons, and how it got into the Enlightenment, and then, um, and uh, Charles Darwin, like evolution was a huge portion of it. And like, so there's this, it's this very interesting historical perspective on um, the, the nasty fruits of the French Revolution feeding into all these people's movements and getting into the, um, the Bolshevik Revolution and then then the Russians in particular, who were the only ones that our lady singled out at Fatima, right? Um, spreading her errors and infiltrating the church that, that starting in, you know, at the same year of Fatima, 1917, when the Bolshevik Revolution happened, then they very deliberately attacking the Catholic Church uh, from within and from the outside. That, um, that, so it, it, it paints a whole picture of the subversion first of all and then the like pulling out the foundation of so that the whole structure falls down of the catholic church it's absolutely happening we see it all around us that's why we sing on eagle's wings at church that's why people show up in shorts and flip-flops that's why there's all the numbers are down like all of it it's it's very deliberate and it's a nefarious plan hatched in hell um aa1025 is also a very interesting book which is it's five bucks on Amazon, AA1025. It's a, it might be 90 or 100 pages of a little booklet, but it is the, it's some secret plans that were found um, in, I think the briefcase of this um, Russian agent who had a car crash, and then a French nurse was taking care of him and then went through his papers, and it's like the, the plan to infiltrate the Catholic Church, and it was their printed plan. But because he was in a car crash, then now it's made public and it's in a book on Amazon. But yeah, it's it's very similar to yes, yes. This is about Belladad. It's connected to that. But they placed 1,100 seminarians in um, in uh, 1,100 men in seminarians just in the 20s and 30s. And so that's who we have now, and that and the generation right after that are the hierarchy of the church. So it's not that the, the bishops these days or the bishops' conferences are just, you know, they're more Democrat than Republican, and they're more interested in social justice and, and all these other things. It's not that. It's not a political lean. It's, they're, they're enemies. It's like the wolf has gotten into the sheepfold. But do we know who they are? Uh, <coughs> we're finding yeah, out. You know who they are. Yeah. So, yeah. So 
How yeah, do we know you know? We know quite a few of them, and she had a list, but Fulton Sheen, who, con who converted Veladad, convinced her not to publish that list. They're so not actually it, the it's ones available. That What's that? They're not actually the ones that I mean, they do bother me, but it's, it's the lukewarm cowards that are afraid to speak up and say anything about this is sin, this is good. Like, when do you hear that? Well, but, but think about it, though. The reason we have lukewarm cowards is because of them, because they weren't formed, because the ones that were that were real men, that were real Catholics that wanted to go in the seminary, were barred because the communists put themselves up as deans of seminaries. They wouldn't let them in. If they weren't homosexual, they wouldn't let them in. You see, like that's why we have the priesthood and the clergy that we do right now. It's all part of like, it's y'all. It's so far gone. Like our Lord just needs to come and wreck it. That's what he's going to do. Wow. What was it? Was it AA? What was it? AA1025. Thank you. So, this is not, not salvageable at this point. What about the, the, the remnant that is mm -hmm. the remnant priest? Yes. Yeah. So, has, it, has anybody seen there was uh, there's a good YouTube ID called Complicit Clergy? Mm -hmm. And they okay. put out some. There is a. Uh, I sent it out to a bunch of people, but there was this Father Joseph Kuhlman, who was at the St. Augustine um, Cathedral Church, and he, he, it was just like, what, like a week or two a week ago? ago? A week ago. Yeah, I listened so to his it. his came out. Yeah, I think I sent it to it. you. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll send that around, but there are some priests like that. I actually just called him this week. I was like, do you want to be one of my guest speakers? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I just talked so to him like good. a half an hour. So, but Joseph, K-U-H-L-M-A-N. Uh, it's in Florida, right? Yeah, it's in Florida. And he's like, he's like, I keep on saying these things, and I keep on getting moved around. He actually, that's what he told me. And, but he said, um, actually, I'm recording this. I'm not gonna. I'll, I'll tell you after I stop it. Um, but um, in any case, huh? don't forget. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, but the priests are, um, when they do speak the truth, they they so-called suffer. But the uh, the administrators in the diocese say, oh, he's not, it's just like communist oppression. He's not following the party line. It's a party line, y'all. He's not following the, the, the propaganda that we're putting out from the KGB. I mean, USCCB. I mean, KGB. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so we got to go get him. And they send him off to the Gulag. Yeah. And the Gulag is this uh, St. Luke's. Uh, behavioral health retreats that um, they send off those priests to get like reprogrammed and they go through like this therapy stuff and oh yeah so is that what's going to happen to Father Heilman and Father Heilman <laughs> yes yes and so we need to pray for them intensely we need to pray for them because they are under attack they're very blessed because they get to be under attack right they get to stockpile evidence in the book that they did and said the right things and you know potentially to be martyrs and wonderful like god bless them but the remnant you're asking about is um which you know oh that we could each one of us be part of it right like that's our job is to pray and strive mightily to be christians and leave evidence so that hopefully somebody's going to come knock at our door and say you know you're not following the party line when it comes to that uh, but the priests like they're living it right now yeah, and they are suffering when they speak out and they and tell the truth. 
because it, there's an intense pressure to do nothing, say nothing, to not rock the boat. And frankly, a lot of it comes from finances. Like they're worried that their, you know, that their parish is going to go down. They're not going to get money, and so it's the allure of money and troubles of the world that creeps in because they don't have formation and they're not praying, and we're not praying for them enough. Details that have come out because there were 2,500 uh, apparitions between 1961 and 1965, like exactly the same years as Vatican II. Wow. By the way, yeah. um, and so there's some details that came out uh, about there's a a Russian tribulation to come. So like we're kind of worried about the Chinese right now or you know Muslim terrorists or this or that, but the um, the Russians really are the ones to watch out for and apparently. Um, the sign that something like that's going to happen, that we're going to go to war. So there's there's a whole bunch of different events. There's war, there's more plagues, there's like a whole bunch of different things that are happening, like earthquakes, and like the Bible says that too, right? And we've had a bunch, and, you know, we're at this level, maybe we go to that level, and it's just like, but they're in various places, is to just kind of uh, tear apart the fabric of society is more or less what it's for. But... That one of the details that came out was that when the Holy Father visits Russia, then as soon as he comes back, then that's the signal to look for, to be prepared for war to suddenly erupt. And in particular in Western Europe, but that we're not, even in the United States, that we're not going to be completely spared. Uh, but most of the prophecies, even older ones, you know, talk about. The, the war that tears through Italy and France and, you know, there, there's a lot, like, kind of Europe-centered. Um, so, so that's one. And apparently that the Russian tribulation has to happen, or that war has to start before the warning. And the warning's supposed to happen in an even year in, the, like, the first part of the year. So right now it's looking like it probably the next chance would be um, early 2022. But, you know, this is like, it's all, you know, trying to put pieces together. It's all kind of conjecture. You don't really know. But yeah. I mean, one of the things, like, in following all, a lot of this stuff, you know, it always comes to me is, you know, the part, I guess, like in Scripture where, you know, Jesus says, you know, you need, you know, neither the, the, the day or the hour. You know, the, the of thing, his second coming. Of the second coming and yes. things like that. And at the same time, I, I feel, you know, there is a place for mysticism and prophecy and things like that, you know, even in, you know, the Old Testament, you know, there's always that time. But I guess for me, like I, I said earlier, I think in, in keeping the eye on the prize, so to speak, you know, yes. rather than getting distracted by the political maneuvers or the yeah. economic maneuvers and, and all the other things that can take place, because it's real easy to get... Uh, 
unpeaceful <laughs> yeah. sentiment, you know, in, 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 uh, in following, you know, you know I, and I guess everybody has their own uh, satiation point, I guess. With, you know, so that's actually a really good point about curiosity. We should resist heartily. We should resist the um, scintillating, the exciting, the like the, the curiosity just Ouija to want to know stuff. more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that it can lead to something like that. Right. And um, and so I would just ask, pray whether our Lord, you know, wants each one of you to know more. Because like the temptation is, well, I'm just going to go dive in. I mean, and I did I did that twenty something <laughs> years ago, and it's like, you know, it's too much. And then I also I swallowed some bad ones. And I learned the hard way, and I suffered from it. Yes. And then, so it's there's a healthy resistance to details of prophecy. That's that's it kind of guards you, like it's good. And so, almost like, you know, Lord, I'll know this if you want me to know it, and if it's for a purpose. But you know, prevent me, or you know, block it from me, or something. If you don't want me to, if I don't need to know, then I, I don't want to know. That's a healthier, and then he'll come find you with the stuff that you need. Our Lady will equip you with the stuff that you need, but kind of resist it, if that makes sense. It's it's significantly healthier, and it, you know it guards our souls because it, it, it's a great point. Michael, so do we not tell us like when the? Jerry's like, I'm not looking. I don't know. I know. Well, that's what we're here for. It's okay. How do we know like where to go? You're talking about refuge. How we don't, how we know the signs to go, like you know. You know. Yeah. So um, Maria Esperanza, I think she's a servant of God right now. She was a um, really wonderful mystic who died, I think, in the '90s from Betania, Venezuela. So she had the stigmata, and there's where she was was holy ground. If you look up Maria Esperanza, I mean, she has a wonderful name, right? It means hope. But um, she. Uh, our Lord told her that, um, I'm answering your question in a roundabout way, that um, that Venezuela, this was in the 90s, so Venezuela was at the very peak. They had, I mean, they're sitting on more oil reserves than any country in the world, right? And so it seemed like everything was great, and uh, then they had their socialist revolution, and everything was uh, nationalized, and then it just completely fell. Our Lord told her at the peak, when they were, seemed like they had the world in their hands, that um, Venezuela was going to uh, fall to its knees and that every other country in the world was going to follow, oh like my. Venezuela. So, so like economic collapse and all those kind of things can absolutely happen. And so all I'm saying is if we look to Venezuela and don't kind of dismiss them and think, you know, poor Venezuelans, but we look at it with very somber eyes and realize that even in the great United States of America, with these people who are actively trying to tear our country apart and are doing a very good job and trying to incite civil war, and they have just run up this enormous debt and we're giving money to everybody and 40% of people are unemployed or these small businesses. I mean, they've set up a perfect storm for a huge economic collapse, huge. And it's all engineered. But our Lord said that, that all the countries in the world would follow suit. Now, what does it do? It takes away material comforts. It takes away, 
the security of this way of life that we've got, but praise be to God. If that brings more souls to heaven, all this stuff goes away. It's like a monopoly game, right? Like you, I've got my house, I'm moving around, big money. I got my little cute little diecast car. At some point, yeah, like our Lord closes your game and puts all the toys away and he just gets back in the closet. And if we treat this life like that, like it's a, a little cheap, chintzy game, we're not attached to it. We're in a lot better spot. But we look at Venezuela and say, you know, it very well could, it's, like, it could come to that sooner rather than later. And we see it, everything being put in place right now to pull the cord out. So, as far as like knowing when to go to refuges or knowing what to do, that's the part where we don't have to worry about it because if we stay in a state of grace, if we pray our rosary every day, it's, Pope John Paul uses it, it just rings in my head all the time. He said, I forget where it was he said it, but these were, he said, be very, twice, be very, very assiduous. When I first heard it, I was like, what does that mean? I'm like a dictionary guy. I was like, I had to go look it up. But it's like unflinching and unstopping, unwavering, like never faltering. Very, very assiduous in praying your holy rosary every day. We have to pray the rosary. We have to get to Mass. And daily. Like that, we, y'all, like these times that we're going into, we need to be fortified. We have to, and there's there are ways if you pray and ask Our Lady to help you get to daily mass. It is absolutely possible, oh, yes. absolutely possible. You have to, like, change your life. Go to daily mass. Get your rosary. In that state, then we'll know. It's almost like this, like, non like nonchalance and and radical trust in our Lord. That when we have to do something, it's like we have so much confidence in Him. That, that all fear and worry goes away. Like uh, Pfizer Pio says, pray, hope, and don't worry. It's like you're just walking with this strut and like this confidence that like, you know what? I've got nothing to worry about because even if I'm about to step into a pit, the Lord's going to put his hand there and I'm going to be able to step on it. Like so much confidence. I'm just going to go do my thing and figure out, you know, try and find out what the Lord wants me to do. And if he says, Jennifer, it's time for you to get up in the middle of the night and go to a refuge. I'm like, okay, fine. If not, I want you to go outside on the street and be a martyr. Okay, fine. Right? Like, the, the holy confidence comes from being in a state of grace, being tuned into the Holy Spirit, and being a child of Mary. And you'll know it by its fruit. It's the fruit of what you're hearing is peace. Yes. Listen. Yes. You know what, what happened to me? The exercise of San Ignatius of Loyola, mm -hmm. it talks about that. Like, imagine if you have a lot of things or have nothing. Jesus looks at us from that image of divine mercy. And he wants us to say, he's looking at us. He wants us to read it and say, Jesus, I trust you. But you can imagine him looking you back in the eye and saying, do you really? Do you really trust me? And you say, Jesus, I trust you. And then he penetrates into your heart and says, That's where he wants us. Can you talk a little bit more about your 
your consulate and what that's doing and, and, and just because you're so local and all those kinds of things, like what, what's going on? Right Thank you. Right yeah, so um, we just launched um, this spring. We got the Facebook page up a few months ago, but it was on um, actually St. Hannibal DeFrance's birthday that we launched the website, EdenRedux.com. And it is a, um, it's a primarily a, um, a formation apostolate. And uh, we're going to have more content channels as time goes on. But right now, what we have is uh, a podcast. And um, so during this whole um, coronavirus pandemic, we, um, <laughs> uh, we, we were actually very blessed to be able to get to uh, daily mass. I kind of wormed my way into the Facebook Live crew at St. Joseph's and at Holy Trinity down in Columbia. And um, so I was able to go to mass every day and I would just bring my pics and I'd bring our Lord home and and we dedicated this room as a prayer room and then this really nice man just shows up um, like knew somebody and uh, Annie Salato, like y'all probably yeah. know her connected me with this guy Joe did this and he shows up one day and he's got this like a tabernacle and a pray do oh, and a couple pizza images. Joe. Really. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 just that bad. Yeah. 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 Where's Pizza Joe from? Pittsburgh? Um, no, he's from Naples originally. Oh, no. yeah, he's yeah, from yeah. Pennsylvania. Father Pistoni's town, I thought. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I was, think, I was thinking it was Naples, but he has like a big St. George thing he goes back yeah. and does yeah. every year. So uh, Chris and I brought some uh, salt and holy water, or water to Father Olkowski, and he says he exorcism prayers on it, and we have some for everybody. Thank you. Oh, that's oh, wonderful. Yeah. Very necessary. Um, oh, and also uh, burying St. Benedict medals all around your property. So. And she did. Did <laughs> you just do it? Just, you gotta do it. Great adult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> she did. A bag of medals that she brought, of St. Benedict medals, and Good. he said the prayers over those too. Yes. Uh, yes. Just wear them. <laughs> but that's an example. Well, so it's good, but that you need to protect your property for it with it too. Okay. Just bury them at least at all four corners. But if you can, like, you know, every. 20 feet or but something like that. An example of, listen, listen. So Kristen, like around Easter, was like, felt compelled to order 100 St. Benedict medals. So, and then I felt compelled on Amazon to order this little tiny funnel. <laughs> with, I was just, and it was for the salt to go into the water. I'm like, oh, I have this little funnel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was like, all prepared. No, like, listen. Yes. Listen yes. They are. And she makes a plan and she sets everything out for us. And, and there's a path that's laid out for each one of us that we can't see. And she knows it. It's her. And if she prompts you to order a funnel off of Amazon. <laughs> do it. Do it. Like so, so many things. You obey. <laughs> you obey, our lady. Yeah. That's right. So where do you think, like, uh, I'll say patriotism or 
nationalism, America, you know, I mean, in light of what's going on, like following like uh, Archbishop Vigano, you know, yep. like with his communications with President Trump and things like that. Yeah. So like, you know, now obviously, you know, God is supreme above any country or anything like that. Yes. But, but. Uh, so nationalism. So, so where do, where where does our American? Sure, it's a great question. Nationalism is a virtue. It's a lower category virtue. But Saint Thomas Aquinas even talks about it. You know, love for your country. These agents of chaos, as one of my favorite podcasters, Anthony Stein, says, um, his is a return to tradition. I really like him. Um, he calls them the agents of chaos that are just actively destroying the world and the church and all this. One of their one of the things they're really big on is uh, globalism, which is against nationalism, and so uh, being proud of our country, praying for our country, and patriotism, uh, and un and putting God at the center of um, you know of our culture, and kneeling down and praying the Our Father before the high school football game, like all of those kind of having the Ten Commandments up in the courthouse, um, it's all very important. Uh, What's not appropriate is to lower ourselves down to the angry level of, um, it's not even discourse, it's like this ad hominem, like at, it, at the person. It's, there's attacks and there's anger and there's human strife and intrigue that wants to lower us down into the fray. So we cannot allow ourselves to get sucked into that why? Because that means we're asleep spiritually. It's a spiritual anesthesia to get sucked into those kind of anger politics. We pray for our country. We love our country. We pray for our president fervently because he absolutely needs it. And I honestly believe he's trying to do the right thing. I mean, you know, he's got a mouth he needs to control, but and a Twitter account. Yeah, right? Don't we all? Right? But, but the point is that that we need to love our country. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our state. Like all of that's really important. And they want, you know, no borders is the slogan of the enemy for a reason. And not only to import people who are going to vote Democrat. That's not that's not the whole reason. But primarily, they want to destroy countries. And when they do, and when they create chaos, then they can come in and they can take control. Yeah, I mean that's like the that's the Communist Manifesto, basically. That's what they're trying to do. So. Um, Anyway, my, my point is that the devil wants to use anything he can to draw us down to the horizontal and to put blinders on so that we can't see the vertical or the transcendental. And as children of light, as little children of our lady, we can't, this is the whole point of Eden Redux, and I'll, I'll get back and we'll talk about Eden Redux in a second, but the, this message of not getting sucked down into the quicksand of the comings and goings, the human intrigue, the like, the machinations of the devil, to use that expression again. Like, we can't get sucked into it. Because he does crazy things. It's a century of Satan. It's like you can, almost can't be surprised anymore. But what, we, but what he wants us to do is he wants us to put down our rosary and to pick up our phone and to get angry on social media and get distracted. And he's like, good. I got that one's out of the fight. Because the fight is between principalities and powers. The fight is on a spiritual level. The fight is with the rosary in our hand, 
getting souls to come to Mass and to pray and to be little. It's the littleness, it's the hiddenness, it's the interior castle that we guard with all of our might. And we're, we don't let anger get in there. We don't let the world pollute in there. Because when we do, then it's almost like you become a Navy SEAL for Our Lady. You are a special operator that, that the devil hates. And he'll come after you. But you know you're really in the fight then. And that's what we want to do with Eden Redux. We want to help people to be focused on the real battle and to try and drag others so that people can help drag others, their family who's in California, and talk to them wherever they can to say, y'all, look to the east. The sun is rising. That's the point. Yes, it's the, it's, the night is darkest before the dawn and all of that, and we understand that. But the historical context that I started with is really important, that there is a glorious dawn, the new day of the church is coming, and hope for that, and not despair of now, is what will carry us through. It's the hope for the dawn. And so we've, we have um, this in our chapel. Uh, we've been going in and having our little family communion service. And, um, and so I just started giving a reflection on this or that or the other. And so, but the kids participate, and it's adorable. So it's not a podcast of like an adult speaking, which is normal, but it's our family meditation. You know, like hearing some of the things that these kids come up with, like it's just, it's precious. And, um, and so anyway, there's, there's probably, I don't know, three months, what do we say, like 90-something? Heavy. Yeah, something like 90, 90-something 90 episodes that are up, but... It's, um, yeah, and so it's, it, we'll get them up each day. And then um, Andy's team is helping us with uh, putting out some memes. And we're going to start, um, we're going to crank up a video channel. And uh, we're also putting on a, um, Lord willing, a conference, uh, probably a virtual conference in October. And so we're going to get Mark Mallet and Daniel O'Connor back and speak again. And, um, and so, uh, and there are a few others that'll come. And, and so we'll promote that. And it's, and we'll see where it goes, like where Our Lady wants it to go, but it's 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 formative is the idea. How about Father Plum? Are, are you guys connected with him, I think, every We're actually, um, we're very good friends with him. I saw him Friday before last in Atlanta. He's he, he's um, spent the night at our house. So we're, um, that's kind of like glomming onto a celebrity, I understand that, but <laughs> but we love him. <laughs> like, he's great. He he's so Sorry. phenomenal. Yeah, Father Jim Blunt is a very special soul. He's an exorcist um, in the Diocese of Atlanta, the Society of Our Lady, the Most Holy Trinity, Salt. I don't know if you all remember Father John Carapi, that real famous yes. speaker yeah. for East Lake. So that was the same community they had. Um, but anyway, so he's he, he's in Salt, and he is a very, very exceptional priest. And um, he's a very good man. Full of joy. He is very much full of joy. Do you know how I found out about it? I'm sorry, Jessica. I was just going to say that he has a lot of podcasts right now that you can listen to. He's he's on um, Atlanta, some sort of Atlanta radio. Atlanta Catholic Radio, yeah. Have you caught any of those? Father Jim. Uh, Jim. B-L-O-U-N-T. We went to um, Belize last summer. Uh And in our, you know, oh, let's find out where some churches are so we can, you know, get to Mass. 
he was the pastor of, our, uh, of the Divine Mercy Parish in Belize City. Belize City, yeah. Yeah, so I just happened to stumble upon this because we were going to Belize. Yeah. And listen to some of his talks and interviews. I was like, this is yeah. Oh, Joel, listen to this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, he's also, um, he's on the Queen of Peace Media, like with the Countdown to the Kingdom.com, and there, there are a bunch of talks. So he promotes the Flame of Love, which is Elizabeth Kindleman, and uh, there's a lot of power in that. And we're going to end with the Unity Prayer. But um, in any case, uh, Father Jim is very special, and he he will, um, he'll give a talk at the conference, too. Okay. Yeah. In October. Do you have um, I, I, I don't, but I'm, we'll, we'll, we should collect them up. And actually, you know what? Y'all should also go on uh, EdenRedux.com and sign up. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. We can do it that way. Well, I mean, I'd, like, I'd rather have like a separate list for local. Okay. Yeah, because there, I mean, there are people all over the world on that one. Do you want me to put, pass around? That would yeah. be great. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Brenda. And what about this? You know, should, should it, isn't it helpful for us to be locally? Prayer cynicals yes. need to be happy. Yes. Like, I feel like they have to be happy. Please come back. <laughs> no, we should. Nice. We should. We really need to, We need to pray. Here. Yeah, we need to pray on a very regular basis because it's um, flame it, of love cynicals or divine will cynicals. Either. I think yeah, and to include right also. So, Father, speaking of Father Jim, he promotes um, the Saint Michael Chaplet and the intercession of angels in a big way. And he said that we really need to be close to our angels. In, like in these times that we're going into, we can't neglect them. That we need to turn to them because they're assigned to us and they have power to do things. That if we, it's it's only to our own detriment if we neglect our angels. So, so we're back to cynicals and getting together and praying. Right. That's what um, Father Jim actually just told me last week was that uh, that we need to include the, the Saint Michael Chaplet, which is. One Our Father and Three Hail Marys for each of the nine choirs of angels. You can look up St. Michael Chapel anyway. It's, it's not that long, but it's, uh, you just go through the different choirs and there are a couple prayers, but it's. Uh, and he'll send you uh, uh, the beads free. There's like a, yeah, a little rosary. It, it's short because it's only nine times three. But um, yeah, the, there's prayer group down there makes them. So, so we should. I think that we should plan a time and we should get back together. Talking is great, but we also need to include prayer. Everybody to pray. I think he would like to say the rosary at a certain time on a certain day so that everyone is saying the same prayer at the same time so that yeah. there's this volume. Yes. We need to be together that way. Well, <laughs> speaking of which. The domestic church, so maybe just where the church is Oh, thank you. Yeah, so that, that is one other thing that I should mention. Um, there's another Padre Pio type priest. Um, in addition to Father Jim. His name was um, Father Joe Benson. And he was an Irish national, uh, but living in the States. And um, we'd have heard about him, I'd heard about him probably in the late 90s, and went to go see him a few times. Jessica and I went to see him in 2010 together. And um, as we were leaving, you know, like you go to confession with him, and you're in there for like an hour and a half or two hours, and he tells you stuff about your life that you never knew, and 
connects the dots for you. Like the reason that you have this sin that you confess all the time is because when you were little you did this and then this happened. Like what oh. saints are praying for you? Yeah, I mean, so you, it's just to be able to seek out priests like that. Father Jim is like that. Father and, Jim Blunt is like that. Yeah, he's actually up here in at Malvern this week. He is up. Father Jim's up here doing a conference very soon. Next, yeah, this week. Yeah. In, in, yeah, at, in Malvern. At Malvern, Malvern and someplace else. Oh, yeah, there's another one, isn't yes, it? Yeah, I can send that out. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, uh, but Father Joe. Father so, Father Joe, Joe Benson, he's retired now. Mexico. He was in the Diocese of New Orleans. And we were down there, we saw him in 2010. And after we had had our um, spiritual direction and confession and all that, we were standing in the lobby of the. Um, Paris office and about to leave, and he said, so by the way, do you have an apostolate as a family? We said, yeah, we actually, we get people over to pray um, in our house, and then the way that these people do, like, you know, the people here, like, directly from our Lord, he, he, he does this little, like, he ignores you for a second while he's listening. God, he's like, listening for a little bit, like, there he goes. <laughs> It's like you're not there. What did and, they say? What did they say? Yeah, I know. You're waiting, right? And, uh, and so he came back to us and with a very serious face uh, about when we said that we have people over to pray at home. And he said, that's very good because it's the future of the church. And there you have it. years of persecution then but then when when you are an outlaw because you believe biblical Christianity and you don't follow the modern anti-hate speech of you know not calling certain people this or that you refuse to follow the party line then you can see very quickly how it either you renounce your faith or you keep it and then you become an outlaw and we just see like the beginnings of that now. But I need to call I don't know about anybody else, but I just feel like this gives me so much hope. So yeah. I just want to put that out. I just want to put that out. That everything everyone said and everything everyone's questioned and everyone everything it just that is absolutely the heart of what we're after. The, the result should be hope. The result should be excitement. It should be, oh, wow. Like, it should, there's these blinders that are that the devil wants to put in front of us to think that this is all we've got because yes. he's the prince of this world, right? Yeah. He wants us to think about the world and we're going to lose this or if the power goes out, this is going to happen or you know, what if I lose my job or it's like the, the stock market crashes or like stuff, monopoly pieces. But hope comes when we realize the dignity that we have as children of God and that, that we keep our eyes on the prize up there. And, you know, even during this life and on creation, that it's not, not just after we die, but that the sweep of church and human history has brought us to a point where it's very exciting. And the saints have all wished they could have been here now. We are very blessed to be living where we are.
I think I remember early on in this COVID thing, I forget who we were watching. Uh, it wasn't a, he was a lay person, but, uh, but he was speaking. And Kristen, you, you guys might have sent us people, but he was talking about how dumbed down, you know, our Christian Catholic faith has become, you know, particularly in the Western world. Mm -hmm. And he was sort of envious of people living in the Middle East and other parts of the world that were under persecution. Yes, yes. Simply because, and, you know, and, it was, and it's one of them things that, for me, was in the back of my mind, but I couldn't necessarily put a name to it or think about it, but, but just more in that sense of that, you know, if, if what we really believe is true, you know, shouldn't we be a lot more, you know, amplified yes. in our response? Yes. You know, if, and it's, and one of my sins is, you know, I enjoy the comfort of the Western world. Yep. I enjoy the comfort of, yep. you know, and, and so when COVID-19 hit, you know, there's a part of my mind or heart saying, oh my God, it's all going to go away. Now what do we do? And it's yeah. like, but, you know, there's, you know, the part of your soul too that says, well, this isn't our home. This isn't where we're meant, this is what yeah. we're made for. Yeah. But, but for me, that's a real, you know, temptation. It's a real uh, struggle, you know, yeah. to, to divorce from that way of thinking. Yeah. I was just going to say that you've given a couple talks on, that radio program, which is Catholic Chat or something. Yes. Yeah, Chat Night. And, uh, okay. And, yeah. And, yeah. and they're practical talks on how to kind of decompress from the world. Yeah. To detach. Detach. Yes. Slowly. Yeah. As slowly as you can. And I don't know if that might be beneficial to. Yeah, I might go to get oh, my hands you, on there. Oh, I don't know. If you yeah, I can't. I think I can think. That's a good idea. I think I can get my hands on those. Um, yeah, yeah. The um, that is the challenge is detaching from the world because that's all that. I mean, you think about it, even the temptation of Christ when the devil took Jesus around. He tempted him with things. It was food. It was physical safety. It was power and ambition and all this. But that he's only got stuff. He's got pieces on the monopoly board to tempt us with. But the problem is that we've turned <laughs> we've turned them into something special that they're not. Right. I like to use this image of crows, like what, what a crow does in its nest. It goes around and collects up shiny things. You know, it goes and gets a bubblegum wrapper and thinks it's awesome and it puts them in its nest <laughs> or you know a bottle top or you know even like one of those. Uh, Sorry, I thought she was gonna fall. <laughs> like one of those. Uh, uh, mylar helium balloons, like they've got the really shiny, like it's almost like wrapping paper. And they put this stuff in their nest and they think it's awesome. It's worthless. And the sooner we can convince ourselves that it's just like, it's crow decoration and all this stuff that we've got, then, um, then the better. But. Michael, did you want to do the prayer? So, yes, the, um, there's one prayer that's very powerful. And um, if Father Jim were here, then he would absolutely insist that we pray it. And it's called the Unity Prayer. Um, That's Elizabeth Kindleman. Yes, yes, Elizabeth Kindleman. And um, 
if you've got your phone and can just uh, look up the Unity Prayer, it, it's short. And uh, I would ask that if you can uh, pray the, um, and it is getting a little bit late, so we probably shouldn't belabor it too much, and we will include more prayer next time, and there will be a next time. Um, but the Chaplet to St. Michael is um, is something that I would highly encourage. So yeah, the, the unity prayer is something that Our Lady has saved until these last times. And she said that it's one of the most powerful prayers that she's ever given to the church. And it blinds the devil. So it's um, the reason that you pray it. It's like So if there's any stress in the home or something happens out at work or, you know, people come and they're attacking you, whatever. The, um, the unity prayer is meant to... Uh, so I'm a beekeeper, and we, you use smoke when you're uh, when you're beekeeping to like to, to disorient the bees so that they can't get together and communicate and come attack you. Well, this is kind of like smoke for the devil, so that like the demons can't coordinate with one another and they get lost. They they can't find you. So it's it's really really strong. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My adorable Jesus, may our feet journey together, may our hands gather in unity, may our hearts beat in unison, may our souls be in harmony, may our thoughts be as one, may our ears listen to the silence together, may our glances profoundly penetrate each other, and may our lips pray together to gain mercy from the Eternal Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Our Lady, Queen and Mother of the Divine Will, pray for us. Thank you. 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 Thank you.